So over the years, really our strategy hasn't changed a whole lot. It, it's really rooted on really trying to balance two things, the idea of, of delivering a really quality product, while at the same time, ensuring that we're a fun brand that people want to engage with, right? So we're always as a team trying to balance those two things, driving perceptions of quality, while at the same time, ensuring that we're not taking our, ourselves too seriously and understanding that the usage case for a product, beer should be fun, right? All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Beer Got Me Here podcast. So today we are delighted to welcome Tim McLaughlin, the VP of Marketing for one of Canada's most recognized craft breweries, Steam Whistle Brewing. In case you don't know, Steam Whistle Brewing is located at the historic John Street Roundhouse in the heart of Toronto, across the street from both the Rogers Centre and the CN Tower. Not a bad piece of real estate, to say the least. Um, the brewery opened its doors in 2000, initially priding itself with specializing in its one premium style of beer, the Pilsner. Since then, the brewery has gone on to add its premium pale ale, premium session lager, and in the summer of 2020, the brewery launched its delicious lemon shandy. So through offering interactive and friendly brewery tours, attaching the brand to a fun assortment of vintage vehicles, and creating a quality award-winning product, Steam Whistle has made its mark as one of Canada's trailblazing craft breweries. We're excited to learn more about how Steam Whistle continues to expand its exciting brand across Canada and beyond in our conversation with Tim. So welcome, Tim, to the Beer Got Me Here podcast. Welcome, sir. Great to be with you guys. Yeah, good. always happy to chat about beer. So thanks for having us on. <laughs> for sure. So can you maybe we'll start it off just if you can give us a little bit of info on your journey with Steam Whistle. Yeah, I mean, I guess I can give you the long form podcast, right? So I guess I'll start at the beginning. So uh, I, I was sort of uh, at university heading down what I thought was was more of a finance path in terms of my degree and, and sort of had potential ideas of becoming, uh, you know, an investment banker or an accountant and became, you know, pretty clear early on through the curriculum there um, that, that that wasn't something I don't, I don't think I would like on a day-to-day -day basis. And so um, by happenstance ended up... Uh, riding a bus back to university with uh, somebody who was one of the early employees of the Steam Whistle retail store. And she spoke of uh, the culture, uh, the brand, as well as, you know, just what a great place it was to work. And so um, that inspired me to, uh, in the summer of my second year university, apply for a job as a tour guide. And, uh, and luckily I was, uh, they, they had pretty, in we, we still do actually when we're operating you know, full capacity at the roundhouse had pretty intervening, inter interesting interview processes where, especially for that frontline retail store staff, we would, uh, they, we called them auditions. There'd be a group of about 50 people that you'd come in and uh, do, you know, some theater sports games like improv games. Uh, and, and really part of the test there was to make sure you were comfortable talking in front of people if you're going to end up doing, you know, tours of the roundhouse uh, for customers. So, so through that, I was able to get a job as a, as a retail store employee. So, uh, spent a couple summers uh, serving beer, doing tours, also working some of the great events that we'd sponsored uh, off-site. So things like in those days, we were working closely with Rugby Canada, a couple of their test matches, and a whole bunch of beer festivals, that kind of stuff. And, and obviously fell in love with uh, the industry as well as uh, as the company and the brand. And so it became pretty clear to me it was a place that uh, I really wanted to kind of apply myself and continue to, to grow my career. And I've done a whole bunch of things uh, here at Steam Whistle over the years um, was sort of part of starting up 
uh, our home delivery program, which we launched in 2006. If you can believe it, we were one of the earlier wow. entrants into that cool. space. At the time, we were mostly focused on delivering uh, kegs to people's houses for keg parties and that sort of thing. Um, so we had a hand in that and then sort of led all of our kind of uh, experiential marketing sort of partnership sponsorship activity. So that's sort of my first foray into marketing. But I've, I've sort of worked in almost every department, worked the line a little bit, worked in distribution and then have kind of been focused in, in the marketing team for probably the last uh, 12 or 13 years. Um, so it's my 17th year at Steam Whistle now. And, and so focused on, on sort of the partnership side and then kind of got into brand management and uh, have been sort of leading the marketing team since, uh, since 2017. So it's been a long journey, but um, one that's been both I, I personally and professionally really rewarding because uh, obviously it's a, it's a great brand and a great company to come to work for every day, but it's the type of business where, you know, if you feel like you, you work hard and apply yourself, um, you know, you see the, the fruits of your, your label translating into the, the business growing. And we just had such a great run. It's been so fun to, uh, to be part of some of the exciting stuff we've been able to do. You've been so connected to Steam Whistle almost from its inception, pretty close to anyways. Um, could you go back a little bit before your time, just a few years? Can you give us a little bit of info on the origin story of Steam Whistle yeah. itself? Yeah. yeah, of course. Great question. So uh, Steam Whistle... Uh, was founded in, in 1999, started by uh, three guys, Greg Taylor, uh, Greg Cromwell, and Cam Heaps, who had both worked at one of the original craft breweries in Canada, Upper Canada Brewing, who were uh, based out of what is now Liberty Village, before it was actually Liberty Village. And uh, that was actually started by Frank Heaps, uh, one of our founder, Cam's dad. Um, and that business was very successful. They did a great job sort of being pioneers in the industry um, and, and were able to, to really grow the brand and grow the business. And uh, reached a point where um, I, I, I would suggest maybe their most direct competitor, Sleeman, saw an opportunity uh, to to acquire the business. And they did that, I think, you know, obviously because they liked the brand, but I think they saw Upper Canada as a real threat. And in doing so, purchased the business and and over the next couple of years uh, went through and, and as so happens in, in a lot of these kind of situations, a lot of the key people ended up losing their jobs and, and mm. all, all three of our founders, Cam, Greg, and Greg were fired. Um, and they kind of went off and did their own thing, each respectively in, in different industries. Cam was doing some consulting in beer and uh, Greg Taylor went off and, uh, you know, did a white label ATM business. So they kind of went off and were outside of the beer industry more for more or less for a couple of years. And then one of the things that they kept going, which was a great upper Canada tradition, was a canoe trip they would host every year in Algonquin Park. And uh, late night um, just so happened that, that Cam, Greg and Greg were the last guys standing we're sitting, I suppose, would be better term for it. Uh, drinking beer by the fire and, and sort of, you know, had had a serious conversation about how much they missed the beer industry and how much they wanted to get back in. And sort of that time that they decided that they wanted to uh, just sort of start something that that took the best of what happened in Upper Canada, but was also sort of a new and exciting brand. So the original name that, that the business was incorporated under was uh, the Three Fired Guys Brewing Company. Um, <laughs> tribute to, uh, to where you know, where the business came from, where the brand came from. And although we, we decided to end up going with Steam Whistle officially, uh, the uh -huh. bottom of every single uh, Steam Whistle bottle is still embossed with that 3FG uh, emblazonment, which sort of just signifies kind of the foundational story. Uh, and we ended up settling on the name Steam Whistle um, as the, the founders were sort of thinking about, you know, where the business was going to be housed. They, they were looking at some buildings and one of the places they checked out was what's now um, the distillery district 
And they were standing on top of the roof and they said, wouldn't it be cool if we had a steam whistle that we could blow every day at five o'clock? Sort of that retro look and feel that they were trying to emulate with the brand in general. Right. But also it would be really fun if we had a steam whistle to, to ring or to, to sound every day at five o'clock to let everybody know that's working in the towers downtown Toronto know that it was time to stop working and time to have a beer. And it was sort of that eureka moment where, uh, you know, figured that was pretty good name to actually call the beer and the brand. And so as a result, that's where we, uh, we ended up tacking and obviously it's been pretty successful. So yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. So cool. Yeah. I know um, story. we were talking beforehand, all three of us, we've been on the, the steam whistle brewery tour. It's nice. quite the, it's quite the tourist attraction. Like if you're new to the city or if you need to, if you want an activity before a blue Jays game, or if you're going to the CN tower, throw the kids up there and, mom and dad can go over to the, to the brewery. Like you really established yourself. I guess this is a, a pre pandemic statement as, as like a tourist attraction in downtown Toronto. Like you're kind of up there yeah. a little bit more for adults, but you're up there with like Ripley's aquarium and a blue Jays game and, and, uh, and the CN tower. Like yeah, it's, most definitely prime real mm-hmm. estate. Yeah, you've kind of, yeah. Like it's just your, your spot. You are so at such an advantage to where you yeah, from day one, it was from day one it was always uh something that we always tried to do which was to use our brewery as, as sort of a social hub to to try and contribute to kind of the cultural fabric of the, of the city for lack of a better word and so that was something we always did so you know for right from the early part of steam whistle we were hosting art shows on a monthly basis um we started hosting events which is a big part of what we do and then um, the tour piece of it's been huge. We, we put about 150,000 people in a regular year, obviously not this year, uh, mm-hmm. through the building a year on tours and events. And so it's been a great opportunity to create those meaningful connections to the brand and, and give people great experiences with our beer. So it's, it's certainly been something we've been known for and something that we take really seriously and very much looking forward to getting back to once we're safely and responsibly allowed to. So, and, and it has been a, a huge tourist attraction, which is, I suppose, not that strange. There was a period of time where we were number one on TripAdvisor uh, as far as attractions go in the city of Toronto. For, I think it was cool. about two years we sat at actually wow. number one. Uh, and I think we're still in the top 10, which I think speaks to the quality of mm-hmm. the tour experience, perhaps the lack of quality of other tourist attractions in the city. <laughs> Although, the Blue, the Blue Jays must have sucked that year. That's yeah. probably why. They're just like, just our go neighbors, to Steam Whistle. Don't even bother going to a Jays Yeah, meet. exactly. I'll say our neighbors at Ripley do, Ripley's do a pretty good job. They're pretty new. And this was prior to them opening. So they're good, good friends and partners of ours. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting though. It's been amazing to see the city grow up around us because when I first started mm-hmm. at Steam Whistle in 2004, um, you know, where the brewery is, it's, it's obviously a beautiful location. It was always right across the street from, from the Rogers Center and the CN Tower. But where we sit on Bremner Boulevard, that had just opened. I think it opened uh, the year the ACC opened. That road was mm-hmm. new. Um, so all of the land, like directly adjacent to the brewery, was actually pretty much unbuilt at that time. Yeah. And, you know, in a lot, you know, the last 17 years, we've seen the South core area kind of build up around us, all kinds of office buildings, condos, and people are, you know, going about their, their lives in that area. But at the time it was sort of this pocket of, of really sort of like a ghost town in the middle of the city. Um, Obviously it was still a great location, but it's been amazing to see sort of how much this area has developed around us. And um, obviously now we're, we're so well positioned to be uh, in in the heart of all the action, which is great. That's awesome. I love that you talk like, for instance, I've been on the steam muscle tour, I can't even count how many times now. Uh, and it's always great. Oh, maybe by the way, do you, 
our uh, guests still allowed to pull the whistle? I think last time they didn't. Oh, good. Maybe they just didn't have that opportunity. Nobody, nobody brought that up when I was there. The it used part. to be when I when I was on the tour. So when I was working in the retail store, we were much more liberal in terms of the <laughs> amount of uh, samples we would hand out to. Uh, it's now two samples usually per tour. When I was sort of operating <laughs> yeah. the retail store, it was much more liberal than that. So people would generally, uh, you know, get pretty well lubricated while they were mm-hmm. visiting the tour. Um, but the whole the whole idea of the whistle initially, obviously, it's fun and it connects to the brand. But that whistle used to be a signal for the people working in the retail store to know that the tour was ending and. It's time to start pouring some beers out because people are coming out and they're going to want to drink some beer. So, yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah. I got definitely want to go back and check it out. And, and like I had a buddy who got married at steam whistle, like the venue space you guys have that have there is absolutely gorgeous. Um, you know, obviously you have the roundhouse area and I missed the last winter craft beer festival you guys have, but I definitely want to get back to that. Actually, maybe that sort of leads me to my question. Like, you know, because the event space has changed so much after the last year, is there like a, this pent up demand to go and do a bunch of new things at Steam Whistle or is it sort of status quo? What do you guys got in the works? Yeah, it's great. It's a great question. I mean, obviously it's been, you know, COVID has been tough for every business and, and, yeah. you know, the re- the event side of our business was a huge, you know, huge part of, of our overall revenue picture, you know, in terms of really supporting what we try to do on the beer side. So it's been a number one, a great place to create experiences for our brand, but also we host, in a regular year, probably 450 events, and that more or less, you know, went away overnight. So, you know, in doing that, mm-hmm. we, we tried to do some things that were sort of innovative in terms of uh, taking event properties that are that are ours, like, you know, we established Roundhouse Craft Beer Festival, I think in 2009 or 10, I'd have to mm-hmm. go check the year, which which is an event that we started at the brewery that uh, we invite sort of all the leading craft breweries from Ontario down to Roundhouse Park to uh, throw a big festival celebrating craft beer. So some of the stuff we, we sort of pivoted to during COVID was Lindsay Castle, who's our, our partnership manager, had the idea to create Crap Beer Fest in a box. So I think we were the first people in Canada to I be doing that. that. We took yeah. a bunch of the, the breweries that would participate and package it up in a, in a box and shipped it to people's home and had a bunch of, some, of online programming. So that was a big part of it. And then more recently, we've sort of taken that idea and sort of tied it into the restaurant we operate out of the brewery called Steam Whistle Beer Garden to create what we call the Crap Beer Crate, which is a pretty similar concept. We work with some of our favorite breweries. And in the case of the craft beer crate, every month we work with a different brewery to curate the craft beer crate. So they'll choose some of their favorite beers to create sort of a, a curated list of, of some of the most exciting uh, craft beers in Ontario. So every crate comes with six sea muscle beers and then 22 other exciting new products. So that's pretty something that we've tried to do during COVID to, to really keep these things alive and also, you know, mm-hmm. adapt to the changing marketplace. We've also worked on, on sort of rethinking that concept as we look ahead to what would normally be Roundhouse Craft Beer Festival, which is in August. So this, this summer, in this August, August 17th, we'll be launching a new opportunity to, to build your own crate. So it'll be kind of a virtual bottle shop where people can go in and choose their favorite beers. And there'll be some, some flagships you recognize, but there'll be also a great opportunity to try some one-off brands that you might not find anywhere else. So, so we're excited about that. Cool. And then in terms of the event side, we certainly have seen uh, all interest pick back up. You know, I think there is a lot of pent up demand. Lots of people have their weddings booked and they're, you know, it's been very stressful for those customers because mm. they don't really know whether or not mm-hmm. they're going to be able to host what they would ideally like to host yeah. uh, as, as a, as a wedding. But uh, we certainly have seen a lot of interest pick up as, as the restrictions have started to ease a little bit. Um, so we're feeling pretty excited about the fact we're, we're hopefully going to be back to a spot where we're hosting guests at the roundhouse again 
to have that happen for you guys right away. That's very promising. And hopefully by next year, like a year from now, things will be 90% normalized. Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, it's been, you know, it's, I think for everybody in the beer industry, it's been really challenging to, to manage. And, you know, it's obviously the event side of our business, as you guys probably know, um, it's been so tough for our partners in the restaurant, the bar and mm-hmm. restaurant trade. Uh, you know, when we were, you know, sitting here in, in November trying to forecast what 2021 was going to look like, you know, we thought we were pretty being pretty conservative, kind of expecting a lot of the year to look like roughly 30% of, of what 2019 would have been, for example, which was kind yeah. of a normal year. And lo and behold, everything's pretty much closed until uh, until June. So that's been so tough for our our partners in the trade and obviously, you know, hurts our business as well. Mm-hmm. It's been nice to see how quickly people have, have come back to on-premise and people seem to be on patios enjoying beers, which is which is a great sign. But if you sort of looked at me and said, there's a very good chance 2021 is going to be worse than 2020, I would have said there's no, no way that's possible. And as we look back at the end of the year, depending on how, there's lots of encouraging signs that we're going to finish mm-hmm. strong here, but at least as far as the first part of the year is concerned, it was <laughs> it was more challenging in terms of the operating environment. So yeah, take the good with the bad, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess I'll go back a little bit. COVID obviously has affected the entire beer industry, the hospitality industry, tourism industry enormously, but, but I'll go back a little bit and talk about Steam Whistle as sort of an institution. Like obviously like where we were like in 1999 and 2000 in comparison to where we are now in 2021, like the, the beer scene and the craft beer scene is like completely different. Like Steam Whistle is really credited for being one of the first craft breweries in Toronto, in Ontario. I mean, they're really sort of really a trailblazer in term of, terms of the industry. Like, how do you see, how do you compare Steam Whistle now to the, what Garrett and I like to call the craft beer renaissance or revolution? Like, how do you yeah. see yourself as a brand, as a, an enterprise in relation to now, I think, what is it, the... 300 breweries in Ontario, the 60 breweries in Toronto, something like that. Like, what do you, how do you, how does Steam Whistle fit into this, this explosion in the past 20 years? So I think it's a, it's a, it's interesting question. So I think you you take it back to kind of where the business came from. And when we started, um, there was a real sort of craft trend with only a few breweries kind of, you know, late eighties in through the nineties. And then that really sort of tailed off as, as we sort of approached 2000, the millennium. And, and so, you know, one of the ideas in terms of really how Seamless was originally positioned and really something that's been sort of a foundational vision for our brand and something that still lives true today is the idea that we looked at the Canadian marketplace and said, we don't really see a respected leading premium beer that people recognize as Canada's best beer, right? So you ask that question of, of you know, Holland, it's going to be Heineken, the same question of Ireland, it's going to be Guinness. And so I think our founders rightly identified that as a real opportunity. So in some ways, we were more positioned against, you know, the premium imports as a, as a business and a brand than we were potentially against the craft space. And so, you know, we've always, and that, that obviously was a very aspirational and lofty goal in 2000 when we mm-hmm. made one pallet of beer, but I think spoke to sort of uh, the ambition that we had as a company and, and really what we saw as an opportunity, frankly, for this market, because if you ask Canadians that question, you might get 10 or 12 different answers. It's not really one yeah. person holding that mind share. And so that's really always been our, our vision for the business and really why we only made one beer for 17 years, this idea of sort of relentless pursuit of perfection. How do we, how do we continue to improve a beer that we actually feel can compete with the best in the world? You know, and I think inspiring Canadians that 
it is possible for Canada to have a beer that does compete with Stella and Heineken and some of those other respected brands. And it was really only then, uh, once we felt we'd sort of had a legitimate claim to sort of suggesting that we were hopefully near that position that, that we thought about, you know, launching other beers. And so, so that's kind of, I think we were actually a little bit different in terms of how we built our business in the craft space, but what's happened around us and, and, and something that I think hopefully we've helped contribute to is, is this explosion in terms of uh, craft beer, obviously across the country, I think there's over a thousand breweries nationally. And so I think when I started at Seamus, so there was 28 in Ontario and there's now over 300. So yeah. um, oh just my the, God. Uh, Exponential. the growth has been, has been absolutely crazy. And I think, you know, our position has always been that the craft segment as a whole is going to be in a much better spot if we work collaboratively to help grow the segment uh, overall. And that tide, it hopefully floats all boats. So we've always tried to, uh, to hopefully be a leader in craft and, and try and create an environment where craft breweries can thrive, obviously in Ontario, but we're very much focused now on, on creating an environment where craft breweries can, can thrive nationally. It's very hard for craft brands to sort of move beyond their provincial borders and find mm-hmm. success. And so more recently we've, we've, uh, started a partnership with Phillips Brewing, which is sort of a reciprocal, they're the leading brewery out of BC in the craft space to, to sort of work on, you know, how do we work collaboratively to help create an environment where craft breweries can thrive nationally. And so, so it's kind of an interesting thing in terms of our brand, because we're fundamentally always going to be a craft brewery. It's important for us to retain our craft credentials. And I think maybe some people, especially in Toronto, where we're, we're more established, sort of look at us and go, are, are they still craft? And I think it's a fair question, but we're still making craft beer. We're still independent. We still make use only all natural ingredients. So I think we have all of the craft credentials, but we're also, frankly, we're never going to be the brand that's making double barrel cherry stouts or, uh, you know, really sort of cutting edge. What, what some people associate with craft beer, our approach yeah. is always to take styles that we know customers love, like Pilsner, which is the, the largest style in the world and, and, yeah. and really focus on a challenging style to make because it is one of the harder styles mm-hmm. to make because you got to be so precise in the brewing process and do it in a way that allows hopefully um, new drinkers who might be new to the craft segment to just sort of dip their toes in the water. Because I think we make a beer that if you're drinking Moosehead or, or Sleeman, you could have a Pilsner, steam whistle Pilsner, and it's going to hopefully start you down that journey so that, you know, you're, you start exploring some of the great beers that you'll find in craft, whether that's IPAs or, or, mm-hmm. you know, some of the other styles that have become so popular like Sours, which are obviously on fire now. So I think that's how we kind of see our role. Obviously, it's important for us to always sort of remain true to who we are as a craft brand and a craft breed, which we're never going to lose. At the same time, you know, our goal is to really move beyond that and become hopefully a respected leading premium brand in the country, which again is a lofty aspiration, but one that we've had since day one. And I think they've been working towards for, for 21 years now. So, yeah. It's a perfect explanation. Like we get that a lot on our tours actually, you know, when we talk, because obviously we're focused on, on craft beer yeah, and we do get a lot of guests asking, you know, well, does does Moosehead count as craft? Does Steam also? Because you know the bigger players, uh, of course. Uh, but that's a great explanation. You know, the, the credentials. I like. I like how you put the credentials. I think I might steal that as an explanation because that's you know you still you're still doing what you you started off doing, and you know that makes you craft. So I, I like that. That's really good. It is. It is interesting in Canada. Like in, in some ways, it has been associated with size here. Whereas, yeah, you know, if you look at the U.S., like no one Sierra Nevada is a massive brand. No one's looking at Sierra Sierra Nevada going. Those guys aren't craft anymore, right? And and I think mm-hmm. there's there is sort of a feeling that like you can outgrow it here, um, which is sort of an interesting thought. And I think maybe that's changing a little bit. Um, and maybe that's sort of the Canadian mentality of sort of modestness and, um, but 
but you know, we want to be bold and encourage people to think big. And, and that's certainly what we're trying to do with our brand. It's, it's, it's obviously aspirational and maybe we haven't achieved it yet, but that's certainly what we're shooting for. And we want to be confident about that and, and, and sort of come in working towards that every day and align our team around that kind of foundational vision that we've had for 17 years. So for 21 years, I've been here 17. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I just to, I'm sort of leveraging what you said, Garrett. Yeah. We, we, people ask on our tours and our online tastings all the time, like steam whistle gets brought up all the time. Like this question, it does that like, Garrett, we hear that all the time. Like does steam whistle count as craft beer? And there is, there is this, I don't know, that could be true. It could be an Ontario thing. It could be a Canadian sense of craft beer means means petite means smaller institutions so like when do you have to stop labeling yourself as craft beer in canada you just said never you you will always consider yourself as craft beer but then does it get to a point where where we need a different set of terminology to define an enterprise like steam whistle and and something substantially smaller in a rural town in ontario I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's a fair question to ask. And, and we've actually, we've done, you know, over the years, we've sort of looked at some research that kind of tried to understand that question. And the people that we've talked to in terms of the researchers, we're, we're kind of surprised that normally when you sort of think of a category, there's usually like two or three, three things that bubble to the top in terms of things that people associate with that category. And what's interesting about craft beer is that there's not really two or three things that bubble to the top. It's really yeah. 12 or 13 things. And so for some people, it's small batches. For some people, it's independence. For some people, it's uh, wacky or out there flavors. For some mm-hmm. people, it's, you know, all natural ingredients. And so it's, for us, all we can do is sort of, I think, kind of define what we, what we believe in terms of what our craft ethos is, which is, um, you know, brewing all natural beer the traditional way, the right way, being good stewards of the environment, being a great place to work, creating a supportive community where other craft breweries can thrive and, and really also creating an opportunity to, to really support the communities in which we operate. And those are the things that we really associate with craft. And, you know, if we were to define it, I think what we would see is the core characteristics being independent should be on that list too. Should have mentioned that. Definitely. Uh, agree. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, I don't think we'll ever outgrow that necessarily, but from our perspective, like we hope that's, that's at least how we see it and how hopefully other consumers will see it, but obviously we can't control that. And, and there's probably big breweries out there that have much bigger ad budgets than we do that are trying to position products in this space that have a better chance of maybe driving that message home, advertising what they think craft is. And so it is sort of, you know, kind of a unique situation where it, it does mean a lot of different things to different people. But again, I think all we can do is sort of champion what we believe uh, are, are kind of our ethoses in relation to craft and, and, and try and communicate that the best we can with customers. Can I shift into your position and and what you specialize in in steam whistle in terms of the branding or marketing of steam whistle because i think certainly as someone who lives in toronto like the steam whistle brand is it's extremely well known and a lot of that i think just as an outsider um just looking in i think a lot of that has to do with your amazing geographical location as well as the like I, I know about the vintage cars. I don't really know too much about that, but I know I've seen them. And and you obviously the the glowing green color is very appealing. And the it's good just beer sort folks. of yeah, that's right. And it's just that's right. And it's just it's just a very fun kind of energetic 
enthusiastic brand. And, and I was wondering if you can touch on sort of how that has, and again, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm missing some things and you can, no. you can add some things in here, but how has, how was the brand evolved over the, over the past two decades and, and what were some inspirations or, or reasons as to go with these, with your image and your reputation to, to strengthen your brand? Can you, can you touch on that? A yeah, little absolutely. Bit? So, so I mean, I think it's a good question. It's, it's actually a great question. So I think, um, one of the reasons I think Steam Whistle has been successful is I think we've sort of had uh, a relentless pursuit of consistency over the years, right? And I think our founders made some really great choices early on. Uh, the idea of, of sort of using a retro aesthetic to sort of tie the brand to, to just sort of an era that, that evoked feelings of sort of hard work, quality craftsmanship, mm -hmm. like those kind of yeah. hallmarks are kind of built into the core of, of who we are and what we stand for, overbuilt quality you know, built to last, like those kind of ideals were really popular in, in sort of, you know, bygone era that we've kind of emulated through what we try to do with a modern spin. And so building that, those kind of building blocks from which the brand came out of, I think was, was really smart, you know, using the green bottle, which uh, is really our icon, yes. uh, yeah. which I think is pretty differentiated in the market, but also, um, you know, it has that overbuilt quality, like these, these choices that we made early on, I think, are, are a huge part of, of sort of what we've been able to build and accomplish. And, and um, so over the years, really our strategy hasn't changed a whole lot. It, it's really rooted on um, really trying to balance two things. The idea of, of delivering a really quality product while at the same time, ensuring that we're a fun brand that people want to engage with. Right. So we're always as a team trying to balance those two things, driving perceptions of quality while at the same time, ensuring that we're not taking our, ourselves too seriously and understanding that the usage case for our product, Beer should be fun, right? So we need to uh, we need to kind of balance those two things in terms of you know how we come to life for consumers. Do one thing really really well was our slogan and our our real yes. ethos for really seventeen years, and and that sort of singular focus I think really allowed us to achieve great things in terms of really understanding what it took to to make a truly great product and, and deliver outstanding customer service. So that sort of idea really did trickle down to every part of our business and, and really every person that worked here believed in that mission. And I think more recently, as we've expanded to other products, our positioning now is really our slogan is Canada's premium beer. We, that's, you know, we feel like we've arrived there. We feel like we've achieved that. Now it's not up for us to, to sort of stake our claim there. Ultimately that position lives uh, in the hearts and minds of consumers, but that's kind of uh, where we sit now as a brand. And so, for us, it's about creating, you know, meaningful experiences with our product in fun and engaging settings. So that's a, been a huge part of how we built the brand. So if we think about, so we sort of talked a little bit about the positioning, that positioning of, of sort of trying to carve out some white space around this idea of being a leading Canadian premium brand. That's kind of where we're positioned. But in terms of how we brought it to life for consumers over the years, it's, it's things like those fun touch points, like our retro vehicles things like our focus on sustainability. So limiting our yeah. environmental footprint through brewing things like experiential marketing. So we've sponsored over the years, literally tens of thousands of community events, right down from, you know, a local art gallery opening to independent film festival, to the Junos, to, uh, to now our partnership with, with golf Canada and the RBC Canadian open. And so wow. as we've moved along, we've tried to find new and engaging ways to just sort of put our brand in people's, hands in the right situations. And, and, you know, we believe so much in our product. We know if we can deliver those opportunities to, to get people drinking our beer at a great situation, our feeling has been, uh, it's going to translate to, to sort of long-term affinity to our brand. And so 
so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of like the Coles notes in terms of where we started and where we've gotten. But I think part of the reason we've been really successful is just the consistency we've been able to deliver. Like our strategy hasn't really changed across that time. I think everybody that comes to work here knows what we're trying to do every day, which I think really allows us to pull in the same direction when we're going out there and trying to win in what is now an extremely competitive marketplace. So, so yeah, I don't know if that answers the question, but yeah, sort of long winded way around it, but yeah. I do love the irony behind, because you mentioned earlier, uh, creating something built to last, and this is coming from three fired guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. I think this time around, they didn't want to get fired, right? So that, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. It's like, we will make this last. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. What about in the last, since 2017, since Tim McLaughlin took the helm of marketing with Steamless, has there been any changes? I guess you were there, like you've been in this role during the addition to Renew beers. Have things changed a little bit? Have you had any inspiration in developing any initiatives? Is there something we should look forward to that's coming up? So, uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, so, so I, I think big picture, like our focus is still on our flagship, Sea Muscle Pilsner. And you've seen more, yeah. more recently us try and create excitement for our fans and frankly, some of our, our key customers like the LCBO through things like some of the partnerships we've engaged in. So, you guys are probably where we, we sell and, and, brew and distribute uh, New Belgium Brewing's products here in Canada. So Fat Tire, Amber Ale is one of the original, mm-hmm. the OG craft brands from the U.S., one of the, I think it's the fourth largest craft beer in the U.S. We, we brought to market here in 2019. We've more recently brought Voodoo Ranger, which is uh, part of their IPA family. It's the fastest growing IPA family in the U.S. So so have, have, have tried to create new opportunities for partnerships that we think, with partners that we really think align to sort of our values, this idea of sort of high quality brewing, but also sort of that sustainability ethos. They've been an amazing partner. And in doing that, we've learned so much about how well they operate their business that has really helped us, uh, I think, up here. So it's been a really rich and mutual partnership. And then more recently have expanded into, obviously, you talked about the pale ale uh, and the session lager, trying to understand not only what type uh, of beers, you know, excite us, but also really trying to understand, like, how do we how do we create some new products that, that are going to excite consumers and, and really fit the market well while at the same time that you know not undermining what we've done with Pilsner so like the hallmarks of a steam whistle beer balance uh, drinkability those are things that we thought were hugely important in terms of anything that would come out yeah. under the steam whistle banner so you know again we wouldn't go and do nothing against double barrel cherry stouts but um, <laughs> we felt that those were kind of the hallmarks of a steam whistle beer that were important to us and so. In doing so, we were very careful to, number one, understand whether or not our, our fans, after saying do one thing really, really well for, for 17 years, uh, wanted another beer from us. And the resounding answer to that question when we asked them was yes. But then how do we do it in a way that, that doesn't undermine what we've built with Steam Whistle Pilsner, understanding that's always going to be our flagship and always going to be the most important brand. And so so that's kind of how we've approached kind of the, the expansion more recently. And then I think like you know, our, our focus is, is, is really, obviously, Ontario is still our biggest market and our most important market, yeah. but sort of touched on, on sort of our aspirations to really become a national brand that has, has a footprint coast to coast. And so some of the ways we've looked at doing that in a lot more recent years is through partnerships with organizations like Golf Canada, which is such an exciting time for golf in this country. You got players like Mackenzie Hughes and, and Corey mm-hmm. Connors on the leaderboard on the final day of the Open. They're going to represent Canada at the Olympics coming up here. And as well, the RBC Canadian Open is just 
an amazing event that we get to be part of that's got this national profile. The CP Women's Open, also a fantastic event that's part of that partnership. So a great way for us to to align with something that we think is is ownable. Like what's the beer of golf in Canada? We don't think there is one and we really want to be that because it's a fun sport. And it's actually, believe it or not, the number one participation sport in Canada. Most sports, people are really engaged when they're young, but they sort of on the participation side, drop off yeah. and they graduate high school. So that's an example of it. We're also partnered with uh, Alpine Canada, the, the Canadian national downhill ski team. So there's going to be a lot of excitement going into uh, into Beijing this winter as the Olympics are following on the heels of, uh, of the Tokyo Olympics really closely here. So we're excited <laughs> by that. And then uh, for the first time this summer, we're partnered with uh, the National Bank Open presented by Rogers, which is uh, obviously Tennis Canada's flagship event. And yes. as well, feeling like we're getting involved with that sport at a great time with you know, some of the amazing Canadian tennis players, obviously Bianca, but now uh, Felix yeah. Oje Aliassim and Dennis Shapovalov. It's just a really exciting time to be part mm-hmm. of tennis. And so sort of touched on the beer side, but those are some of the things we're trying to do on the brand side that hopefully will help us continue to just sort of retain who we are, but also bring our brand to sort of a, a premium audience that's sort of maybe a bit more broader and, and hopefully give us some profile in, in, in markets where we're maybe a little less visible than we are you know, in Toronto, where we've got the roundhouse, we think aligning with some of these great Canadian properties that uh, are real passion points for Canadians, we think uh, makes a lot of sense and something that um, personally, you know, our team's really invested in and really excited about. So, yeah, but I, I don't have any, I don't have any hints on the beer side, if that's what you're hinting at. So <laughs> a little not bit, yet, but we're a having those conversations same, that's okay. now. Yeah. I, it's, probably I think unlikely gonna be, it's probably unlikely going to be another steam whistle beer at this point, uh, but mm. But uh, yeah, no, no, no hints to drop there yet. Soon though. Milkshake IPA is coming. I think this podcast needs to create a petition for (laughs) if we need, if we need a uh, a beer of golf, it has to be steam whistle. I can't think of any other company that should be the beer. Well, yeah, exactly. And I mean, uh, your color scheme is green. So it's already written in the stars that you're, you're the beer of, uh, you're the beer of golf. Right. So. Yeah. And I think it's like, I mean, it's, it's something, I mean, it's just to touch on sort of why we think it makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate you saying that, like, it really is something we believe in. And I think for us to carve out some mind share there, like we really do need to, to be a true supporter of the game and really contribute to it, contribute to golfers experiences with the game in a way that, that improves it in such a way that they associate us there. And so for us, it's been a really big focus sort of from a, every area of our business, we've tried to tie in golf. So we're trying to have our sales team go build distribution and golf courses so that we're actually available at the course level. You know, we're executing it in, in retail by putting golf balls in our, our cases at the beer store and putting a golf themed can leveraging, you know, the Golf Canada logo in, uh, in LCBOs. So uh, it is, and then experientially we're doing golf activations, hopefully when we're able to in places like bars and restaurants. So it really is kind of a, a holistic approach that, that hopefully allows us to, uh, to kind of contribute to the game in an authentic way that hopefully will translate to us hopefully having that mind share with people but again i think we got some work to do to get there but can you imagine yeah. one day the tea box is like uh for steam whistles like the like two little steam whistles on either side that you're that you're teeing <laughs> off between that would be one of the that would be That's the best smart. image to see That's smart i'm telling you that we're, we're going to create a petition for this this is going to happen <laughs> all right i can already like i'm it. already envisioning it i'm on board yeah we'll get it going tim we will. Let's do this. Um, Tim, in, in terms of distribution, a brewery of your size, of Steam Whistle size, where in Canada can I not find Steam Whistle? 
or where hopefully no yeah hopefully nowhere i mean we're, we're more or less available coast to coast you know our, our biggest markets are ontario alberta bc yeah. really strong distribution in all of the maritime provinces the atlantic provinces we're available in quebec so we're actually available even in none of us so we're actually available mm-hmm. in every province and territory across the country now once you get further afield to places like uh like none of us, we're, we're more or less only available in a few select uh, government retailers. Um, but uh, you should be able to uh, to drink a seamless on Vancouver Island or, or on PEI or, or hopefully wherever you travel in this country, you should be able to find us. So, yeah. I don't yeah, think you're in our grocery stores yet. I'm on the Quebec side. I haven't seen you in some grocery stores, but I think in convenience stores that we're specialize in more beer. Got, yeah, we, we do have um, some listings at Provigo and Metro. So, Keep your eyes peeled and just keep bugging your, your beer captain in those stores. I can try my best. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tim, what about foreign markets? Is there any push? I know that gets really difficult, sometimes impossible. Where yeah. where on planet Earth can I <laughs> can I find <laughs> steam whistle beer? So currently, currently we are, we are still only available in yeah. Canada. And that's something that's been a very conscious choice. There, there's obviously okay. some, some breweries that are are much smaller than us in, in size that have, have made the choice to go to the U.S. I mean, it sort of goes back to that foundational uh, aspiration of really trying to become Canada's premium beer. And we felt if we were able to sort of establish that positioning here in Canada, that would be such a great, amazing launching point to sort of, you know, spawn our, our international expansion from. So if we can, you know, develop that mindshare with Canadians, we really feel that our position as we think about expanding internationally is going to be so much more, so much stronger. Um, but as well, I think, you know, we, we've obviously had conversations with a lot of players, especially in the U.S. and in some of the states. There's a lot of demand for steam whistle in places like Michigan and New York and sort of some of the border states. So certainly conversations we had, just not to this point, given all of the other priorities we have as a business, that's something we've uh, we've executed to this state. How do the laws yeah. work out for that? It's actually, the U.S. is pretty challenging because it is state by state. So each state has sort of their own, similar to Canada, where each province has their own sort of jurisdiction in terms of how they regulate alcohol the same is true in the u.s so some states are more similar to uh, to sort of how canada's structured like washington state has changed more recently but they have government liquor stores and, and that sort of thing and then a lot of states are more like kind of the wild west but it's a three-tier system so in each state you're you're working with a distribution partner a lot of those distributors so like new york state would probably have actually don't know off the top of my head but they probably have 30 to 40 distributors so in some cases, you're finding four or five distributors because they would have a regional focus and then uh, working with them to sort of get priority in, in the portfolio products they've had. So a lot of the distributors are owned vertically by some of the uh, major brewers, the uh, Budweiser's and yeah. BBI's of the world or, mm-hmm. or the Molson Coors. So, so it is a pretty, it's a pretty big nut to bite off because there's a lot of intricacies around each state in terms of how you actually go to market. It's, it's quite different than Canada because of that three-tier system. Yeah. It's always been maybe one of the topics of discussion when we, we interact with our guests, you know, guests love their local craft brewery, but they can't really find it everywhere. And you, you've got to order online. And I guess that comes back to distribution. I don't know, maybe you can talk to a few points of like, you know, how you built that really good distribution in Canada. And were there any sort of big hurdles you had to jump to, to get, you know, Canada wide? Another good question. It's been really like a creep walk run uh, situation. So we were very slow in terms of expanding uh, province by province. So we mm-hmm. entered Alberta first because the privatized system there we felt was was probably easier for us to sort of understand and, and kind of navigate to start building distribution in those provinces. And then BC second to that built a relationship with B 
BCLDB, the government liquor store out there, BC Liquor. And so it is, it is the amount of bureaucracy that you have to navigate is pretty mm-hmm. onerous. Like you really do need to be pretty uh, meticulous in terms of trying to understand the, uh, the intricacies of each market to be able to have any hope of, of sort of number one, securing the listing, which is the biggest issue. And then understanding how to like, actually, you know, once you have that listing, get the points of distribution and hopefully have that translate into sales. So it is pretty challenging, you know, in Ontario, like we've taken, we've obviously built an amazing relationship with the LCBO who are really great at what they do. They really are a world-class retailer of, of beverage alcohol, but we also, you know, we've always seen, I mean, a lot of people in the craft space have sort of shied away from, from partners like the beer store considering their own by yeah. majors mostly. And, and, you know, frankly, like we've always recognized that, they're the largest seller of beer in this province and ultimately where a lot of consumers are going to pick up their product. And so I think we've been very, very cognizant of that fact from the, mm-hmm. from the get-go and, and have worked collaboratively with the beer store to sort of, to really build our brand through their channel. And more recently you have seen, you know, other craft breweries really dive in there. Brands like Muskoka and Bose mm-hmm. have, have really invested in the beer store to try and help build their brands. But certainly as, as sort of a startup craft brewery, I think like having a hyper regional focus is the right approach and, just so happened that ours was Toronto, which is a big market. So it really did start here and, and move out from there. But I think if I were to start a craft brewery, that's certainly something I would consider is sort of seed demand in your local market, build the groundswell of, of support, you know, amongst that community and sort of branch out from there as opposed to we've seen other other companies historically, they put a rep in Ottawa, get some distribution. And if they didn't really have the support from a marketing standpoint or, or from a community standpoint in that market, they'd get the listing and then People wouldn't really know the brand. You can't put it on the shelf and hope it's going to sell. And as a result, yeah. once you once you take that shot and you you know you're unsuccessful in terms of delivering the velocity out of those listings that you need to to be a competitive product that that retailer wants to keep you listed, then you end up in a spot where you've kind of shot your shot to a certain degree. And if you come back and try and regain that listing, it's almost twice as hard because they're always willing to give you a try, but really keeping that listing that's the hard part. So I think. We're, we're not we're, we're I to do it you know somewhere else i think it's about you know building a a core of support in sort of a hyper local area and then just branching out from there and beyond into other markets is probably the best way to do it but it's hard it's super competitive now there's 300 breweries and there's yeah. they didn't add 300 they didn't have they didn't have 300 <laughs> shelf spots at the lcbo right so no <laughs> not yet a finite amount of shelf space and people like it is interesting because i talk to people in other other marketers and other spaces and people i don't think people recognize how competitive beer is right like you walk into a grocery store which is sort of like the cpg marketplace or battleground and there's probably 15 laundry detergents on a shelf right like mm-hmm. yeah it's competitive but like you walk into an lcbo there are literally 900 products <laughs> right yeah. 900 products so yeah that's insane it's, uh, gotta fight it's... for that space but that's, so it's a good point the distribution you got no no shortcuts you gotta walk before you can run <laughs> Yeah, for sure. With the brewery, the, the size of Steam Whistle, is it is it more of the strategy? And do you feel that you already have the base here in Ontario and, and the idea is to, to hit other parts of Canada that maybe don't know Steam Whistle as well? I mean, I assume Steam Whistle's as reach is pretty great, but do you still really target Ontario just because it is your biggest market? Or is it more of an attack approach of, oh, well, like studies show that we're not really known in Newfoundland. So we want to focus our attention there as well as in Saskatchewan. Is that sort of, do you attack where you're not known or do you do you really still have to pepper the, the marketplace to which you, you have? It's, an, it's, a, it's not one or the other. It's a bit of a mix of both. I mean, certainly yeah. we've got a national approach and 
and we try and work on solutions for the brand that, that do work across markets, right? So if we're going to make a significant Im- investment from a marketing standpoint. Um, it's vital for us that that partnership or that initiative is not only going to work in, in Ontario, but it's something that we can ensure is relevant for somebody in Vancouver or relevant yeah. for somebody in Charlottetown. So um, ensuring that, that what we create from a, a marketing and sales perspective is, is sort of transferable across markets is hugely important. Um, but it is fair to say that like our, our most important market from, you know, for our business is still Ontario. And frankly, it's, it's by far the largest beer market in Canada. So as such, it sort of does take a disproportionate amount of our resources and, and ultimately yeah. growing here, the size of prize for our business is, is greater than some of the other smaller markets. But at the same time, we hugely are very much interested in continuing to expand our brand in, in places like BEI and Nova Scotia and Nunavut. I can't wait to go to Nunavut and visit. <laughs> I, I was Hopefully say, in July, I, maybe not in January. Yeah. July would be <laughs> I was going to say I have, I have family in the Yukon that, and I've been oh, there yeah. quite a few times, but I don't know if I've ever seen Steam Whistle in, in Whitehorse. We are, yeah, we are in, we are in Whitehorse. In you are? Places. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm not looking hard enough then. <laughs> Look online, bud. Yeah. yeah find it. <laughs> <laughs> don't they yeah, have like dog sled del- delivery yeah, out there? That's right. I have to yeah, get on my dog fact, sled. Yeah. Our product for, uh, for there comes out of Alberta, actually. So it goes yeah, through okay. Alberta up to, uh, mm. to the Yukon. But, that makes sense. That makes so. sense. Next time you're up there, tell me how fresh it is. You can check right. the date for us. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I, t- I definitely will. I'll, I'll email yeah. you. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to ask you that too. And, and maybe this is digging a little bit too deep, but you mentioned how competitive the industry is. It's just enormous. Before COVID, I think we saw stats of of the lap like from 2010 to 2019 like the typical year you'd sit in between like 17 and like 23 percent growth in breweries across the the country as well as in the province similar trends like i guess i'm i'm asking you in terms of the whole market in general where do you see breweries craft breweries in let's focus i guess in canada i guess if you want to focus specifically in ontario like where are we going to be in 2031 is can we sustain this high level of breweries is it kind of a similar perhaps to the toronto real estate market of like it's gotta pop eventually but it's just hasn't yet like what what do you see where I'd do say, you see us yeah. in the next decade I, i'm not uh, i don't pr- profess to be an economist i think that you know having having followed it very closely and obviously very invested in it i, I do think that we're going to see continued growth in both in terms of the volume in the segment as a whole, as well as the number of breweries. I think you can look at the U.S. as a pretty good proxy for, for sort of where things go because they're a yeah. few years ahead of us. And yeah. I think I think craft in terms of overall volume has the potential to get to 15 percent of the volume here in the country. And and I think that we certainly I mean, in the U.S., you started to see closures, right? Like there are craft breweries that are are not making it and are failing and closing, which is obviously not great for the, the business or the industry overall. What you're also seeing is there's lots of people lined up to open breweries. So the rate at which new breweries are opening is certainly much faster than the rate at which, you know, breweries have closed. So I, I think we'll probably see a similar thing here. I think we're going to see, unfortunately, some of these great breweries fall off the bottom, but I think coming in behind them will be some new startups with people that are excited to get into the space and, and participate in it. And there's lots of guys and girls out there that, you know, want to own a piece of a brewery. So when people are out there looking to raise money, I think it's been traditionally a, a pretty easy sell. So yeah, I think we're going to continue to see growth. A lot of that growth, frankly, is coming from sort of 
proliferation. So like when we talk about the volume growth in the space, it's not necessarily coming from the center of these established brands. So for us, it's, it gets harder every year to continue to grow Seamus Pilsner, which is the largest single craft beer brand in terms of volume in, in Canada mm-hmm. uh, on, one, on one brand. But a lot of the growth is coming from sort of new, new, new breweries launching products that are sort of building uh, volume on the fringes. Now, we're still confident we'll be able to grow our business and our brand, and that's what we're focused on. But I think that's what we're kind of kind of see is, as sort of these new breweries open is this continuing of the sort of proliferation on the fringes to a certain degree. You said um, you said you think craft can get to 15 percent. The last study I sh- saw was we're at like six or seven percent. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's, or are we a little to, bit? Are we a little no, bit it's, higher? Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty accurate. I mean, it's tough to get really reliable. Um, yeah national data and, and also there's a lot of volume that's not really captured reliably in the sense that a lot of the direct uh, from brewery sales aren't necessarily captured in a lot of those national roll-ups uh, and a lot of the home delivery brand beer that, that's being sold by craft breweries directly now is, is not necessarily captured in that but i would put it yeah seven or eight percent is probably could be a little higher potentially but that's not a it's not a bad estimate yeah I mean, we're coming close to our hour mark, Tim, so we don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, Before we do that, Tim, I got a quite the unique story when it comes to Seam Whistle. I know that you have a little distribution center in Ottawa. I think it's on, uh, if it's still there, it's on Canontech Drive. And Out I by the a, airport. What's that? Out by the airport, right? Uh, the airport's, uh, well, this is in Gloucester in Ottawa. So that's a, that's a little distance from the... I'm thinking, uh, about, I'm thinking about our older warehouse, actually. We've had two warehouses. So yeah, sorry. Go on. We're good. That's more to it. Like, uh, yeah, the Canatech ones, like in Gloucester, going towards Orleans. But uh, I worked out of Canatech Drive at one point, and we were right next door to the the steam whistle that's there. And FedEx kept on coming back and forth, trying to drop off something, but they would never leave anything there because there was nobody ever at that location. I guess steam whistle guys would come back and forth uh, just on random days. And my boss had this idea. I probably shouldn't be saying this at all, but I'm I'm going to anyways. My <laughs> boss said you know what, when that FedEx guy comes back, if he tries to drop off that package, I'm just going to say, you know what, keep it with us. We'll call Steam Whistle and let them know that there's a package being delivered that nobody's there to sign. So the the FedEx guy comes, we take the package, we, we call you guys up and say, yeah, you have this package here. Um, so we're leaving it with us. And my boss had this brilliant idea. It's like, if we keep it here, they'll probably give us free beer. <laughs> So uh, I don't know who came. Unfortunately, I can't remember. This was quite a few years ago. Somebody came. I think it was somebody uh, probably a little bit more at the top. I I don't know. And he talked with us for a little bit. We gave him we gave him the package. It was apparently a very important package that you guys were waiting for for quite some time. (laughs) And he said, are you guys thirsty? And he just hands us a whole bunch of beer. I think we probably had about 12 nice bottles. After that, we just got refills. There you go. People would come back and be like, oh, here, here you go. We just kept on getting refills. So it was what nice great, to have some. What a great company, eh? Oh, amazing. Like just to have it like our Thursdays and Fridays, we'll have a nice cold one, maybe two at our, at our desk. So that was pretty, that was pretty fantastic. Awesome. So it's been, it's been nice. That's to probably have Dave some... Inglis. He's, uh, he's one of the original good beer folks. So that doesn't surprise me that, uh, that's the story. I'm pretty sure I knew who that would have been. So that's cool. Dave is now sounding very familiar, but yeah, super yep. friendly guy. We got, we, we were getting free beer. I mean, nothing tastes better than free beer. One thing better than beer is free beer. That's right. I mean, I still buy steam whistle just to put that out there when I want some. So <laughs> I'm not, I'm not just taking it, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if it's, at, but I mean, yeah. if it's at the, uh, cause I've also done a brewery tour at steam whistle as well. So I got quite a few free ones there too. 
<laughs> and right. I, I just wanted to touch liberal. on too because we were touching um, we were talking about the we were talking about the the tours at steam whistle as well and the one thing that i really enjoyed about the tour because i'm a i'm a art and architecture uh, that's part of my um, my education and i loved that there was a time that that your building was uh, all the bricks were taken down and it was all re-bricked and refaced that they were turned around so there was a little bit of graffiti that's scattered around everywhere on the interior side of one of the open spaces i think probably right. yeah. the wedding venues yeah they tore down the uh one side of the building to make way for the convention center yeah i love that that's so cool yeah it's such a fantastic space i guess well tim i guess we can end it on can you let us know how sort of the post covid situation is at the actual brewery um if we're in the post covid stage i guess we're in hopefully in the in the decline stages of it um can you let us know like how how things are progressing like are, will tours start up again soon do you think any any information on that you can share with us yeah we're, we're hoping to uh to open pretty close to uh we probably won't open right when the jays come back to town but we're likely going to be open really start the uh, start of august so we're expecting uh to be able to open our doors and have people in for tours um and events yeah you know we're talking about a couple of weeks here so keep keep your eyes peeled follow us on instagram it's probably the best way to get information or, or steamwhistle.ca but we're, we're getting pretty close there yeah cool. so exciting okay well tim thank you so much for your time again we love steam whistle who doesn't what thanks an amazing, for your support guys appreciate amazing you, that. Sounds, yeah. you guys no. barely know the brand so it's always nice uh, chatting here and appreciate all your guys support yeah i mean if the brand is so well known i mean a big tip of the hat to you and and your whole team it's uh it's really fun to watch the steam whistle just continue to get bigger and, and better year by year. Definitely a team effort. I got a great group of team people that we work with that, uh, that come in and bleed green every day. And so always <laughs> nice to hear that some people, uh, some people like it and, and are enjoying it. That's always the, we don't care about awards. We care about people going in and picking up steam whistle and using their hard earned dollars on it. So appreciate, uh, appreciate you guys support. And it was great to chat with you. All right. Chatting with Thank you, you too. Cheers. Thank you so Thank you, much. Tim. We, yeah, Take we care. look forward to seeing you next time. Cheers. Cheers. See you at the brewery. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thank you for listening as well. You can help my podcast grow by sharing my podcast with family and friends and subscribe on whichever platform from where you're listening. Also, check out my Instagram at Beer Got Me Here for beer photos and future beer reviews. For more information on Rolling Hops Beer Tours, their website and a link to all their media is in the episode description. We will see you in the next episode. Cheers. Cheers.